Scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to, be, to synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he led, he led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, good morning, church. And hello to those online. Welcome to our service here today. And a happy new year to everyone. Well, I have to say in uh, all our time here, I've never seen such a well-dressed crowd as the one that's here today. And uh, I do have to admit to you, for those that haven't been with us or, or maybe joining us for the first time, uh, we had a little, little, little wager, if you will, this past Sunday and uh, for today. And that was, um, there was a game that was played last night, and uh, the winner got to have the colors here this morning. And uh, so I love to see all the red and black here today. It looks so nice and lovely. In fact, I'm going to get a little selfie with you all, if that's okay. And Cordy, come on down to this first row. I got to get you in it, too. I mean, we got to have everybody here. So we'll just, we'll just smile. You can, you can just have a good time. Let me get up here, get everyone. One, two, three, cheese. <laughs> all right, looking good. This will go in my keepsake album one day. Thank you all very much. And, uh, you know, oh, while we're here, I was going to, you know, going to do a whole big thing. Um, but the game was kind of close last night. So uh, did anybody, how many of you all stayed up and watched the whole thing? Okay, everybody in this room. I was going to give you permission to fall asleep during my sermon, but if everybody falls asleep, it doesn't work. But a couple of you can. You got permission here today. But uh, I was going to uh, wear my, my jersey here today, but um, it doesn't fit quite as well as it used to. Um, <laughs> So anyways, just so you can imagine me wearing this, uh, it doesn't quite have the same, same good fitting form as it used to. But I do have this wonderful little helmet that my wife got me. And it does say on the side, National Champions 2021, because we don't want to jump ahead, right? But we'll, we'll just kind of, he's going to help me out here today on today's sermon. So, Well, thanks for having some fun here today. I know uh, it was a good game. I, I enjoyed myself tremendously, even if uh, the field goal at the end had gone tr- the different way. Uh, I had a lot of fun watching it, and I hope you did too. It was one for the ages, for sure. And I do have to tip hats to uh, C.J. Stroud. That was the best game I've ever seen him play. And uh, what, a, what a performance, quite honestly, by the whole entire team. And uh, uh, it was a shame one of those teams has to lose, because I could have watched that for another two hours, honestly. It was such a, an entertaining time. But uh, thanks for being here today. Well, we're actually going to preach a sermon after all that, believe it or not. No, you don't want a sermon. You want to keep talking Georgia football. I see, okay. <laughs> but we're going to preach here today and uh, wanted to share with you. You know, sometimes God kind of moves in, in your heart. And uh, he did that sort of this week for me. And uh, we're going to kind of call an audible here to use another football term. 
and the sermon that was prepared. Originally, the sermon was all going to be about, hey, it's the new year, it's a fresh new start, and that God can do anything in your life. He can transform whatever battles you're going through, whatever your demons you're plaguing you, whatever's going on in your, your life, God can change it. And we look at the life of Saul, who became Paul, of course, when God showed up, not only was Saul destroying the church and bringing Christians into prison, then God shows up and basically says, this is my messenger. And changes Paul's life in such a dramatic way that Paul goes off and does amazing things for the message of the gospel and who Jesus was. And we'll even get to some of that in our sermon here today. And the idea behind it was that, of course, it's a new year. God can do something in your life. And don't ever hesitate that. But at the same time, there's been a whole lot going on in life. And I don't know about you, but the 2020s, the one word that seems to be sort of the... Uh, the most needed talent, if you will, or the most needed characteristic of people, it seems, has been the word adaptable, right? <laughs> because you can make any plan you want to, and the 2020s just have been going sideways, left and right, up and down, corkscrewing around and doing everything else. And so as we're here today, I wanted to preach a different sermon, maybe a little more, um, I, I felt it was going to be more appropriate, but just things that are going on in my life that uh, I thought would also be helpful to sort of kind of share with you and think about with you. Uh, in these days that we live in. And so let us pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, like I say, uh, these days have been so interesting. And, and like I say, it's been adaptable. It's really because whatever plans you make, of course, they always keep changing things. The rules that you play by keep changing and all these different things. And never before in my life have I had a moment uh, where the more immediate future and even long-term future is so unknown, right? And, uh, of course, maybe those that haven't been with us, our church is sort of taking a vote coming up in these coming days. And, uh, of course, it affects, you know, everyone in this church. But, of course, it affects, you know, my family as well and kind of what we do, right? And so when I think about that and all the unknowns, you know, I have no idea if three months from now I'm waiting tables, right? I have no idea if three months from now I'm serving in this church and we're worshiping. I have no, no idea what the future holds, uh, for us. And, uh, you know, and so it's, it's just been amazing. And I think about not only that, but I just think about the uncertainty of economies. I think about, you know, COVIDs and all the different things that happen in the world and, and everything else that's going on. And uh, there's just been so much unknown. I've never had a portion of my life where there's just a fog in front of me, right? <laughs> to where there's almost no plans that can be made. There's, there's almost nothing on my own uh, ability or nothing I can plan for, nothing I can do to really make sure that the path ahead stays on the straight and narrow. And so I've been thinking a lot about that um, in my own life, but I thought it might be worthy of sharing a little bit of what I've been kind of meditating on with you as well, because maybe you are also in a place, or maybe even in the coming days that we don't even know about, there's going to be stuff come across where just the unknown in front of you is there. And how does a Christian live when the foreseeable future is not foreseeable? Right? <laughs> how do you live? How do you live in the moment, and what is it that we're supposed to do? I had a, a theme verse for this whole entire sermon. It would be from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It's a very famous one. You've heard it before. In fact, you've heard a song or two about it in your time, but I'll read it to you here without trying to sing it, but it might be hard not to. We'll see if I can do it. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. It's actually a really good meditative verse to focus on and, and make part of your life. 
for anywhere, in any time, in any place, this is a great verse to dwell on, to let it meditate and simmer in your heart. But I wanted to just kind of share a few thoughts before we jump off into some other things. If you're going to just say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, what I love about that verse and why I've been meditating on it so much is because it doesn't say you'll, your past will be known, right? It doesn't say that he will let you know what's going to happen in the future so you can feel good about it, right? It says he's going to direct your past, as in here and now, that each and every footstep is directed by him. When I think of that word trust, I don't know what you think of, but I think of many different things. One of the things that I always think of is a roller coaster, right? Anybody here like roller coasters? No one. All right, okay, a couple of you. Roller coasters, all right. When you were a kid, did anybody in here like a roller coaster when you were a kid? All right, there we go. All right, there we go. Yeah, you get a little seasick a little bit when you get older and it's not quite, you know, bones and things. I got it. But, uh, you know, when you're younger and you have that roller coaster, right, you know, there's, you can know everything you want to know about roller coasters. You can know the G-force. You can know the spin ratios. You can know all these different things. And you can talk about how safe it is. You can talk about how wonderful the ride is, how much joy it brings to people, how it's going to get your heart fluttering, and it's just, just you're going to get all this adrenaline and all these things. But you don't have trust in the roller coaster until you step in the roller coaster, right? And at that point, what you're really putting your trust in are those little handlebars that come down. You know what I'm saying? Because those handlebars aren't there, you ain't there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Trust is that, is that idea of, hey, you can stand on that platform all you want, but the moment you step into the roller coaster and put those handlebars down and hold on to them, that's the trust. And so when the scripture says, trust in the Lord, what, God, what it's saying is, hey, this mission of God that's here to do the kingdom work, get on the boat, right? And buckle in and hold on tight because it's going to be a roller coaster, yes, but at the same time, God's got you, right? That this is secure. You can have your faith. You can put your trust in the Lord that he's going to keep you on this journey. Think about those other words and the word heart. You know, so many times in our world, uh, when I think of heart, I think of like emotions and things like that, or you know, your passion or something like that. And that's partially true, but for the ancient Hebrews and what this was written, heart was a little bit different. And we've said this many times, so I'll just kind of gloss over it a little bit. But heart was like your determination. It was your follow-through. It was the, the kind of gusto or the grit in order to endure and get to the finish line of something. You had heart, as in when you ran a marathon and you got to the finish line. That was heart. And so when, when the scripture says, trust in the Lord, not only you know, get, on the, get on the roller coaster, put that thing down and hold on tight, but with all your heart, it's not just saying like, oh, just feel nice and warm and fuzzy about God. It's saying with your grit, with your kind of endurance, with your ability to say, I'm going to follow through to the very end, no matter what comes this way, I'm going to persevere to get to that goal. That's heart. And of course, those words, acknowledge him, can be interpreted so many different ways in so many different ways that are so unique that it's hard to say them all. But of course, in the 1990s, many of you had this bracelet, or many of your kids maybe had this bracelet of the WWJD, right? What would Jesus do, right? And the whole idea behind it was that you would walk around, and in every moment of your life, it would sit there and remind you, what would Jesus do? When you encounter a friend who's going through a hard time, what would Jesus do? Jesus was you. Or if you encountered someone that was hungry or homeless, what would Jesus do? If you encountered, you know, just on and on and on, what would Jesus do? When you ask that question in every moment of your life, what you're doing is you're acknowledging him. 
And it says the promise there is that not that, hey, you're going to know the path ahead or not the path ahead is not going to be bumpy or anything like that, but he's going to direct your steps. That one foot after another, you're going to stay on that straight and narrow and go exactly where God leads you. And so if I was going to say one thing, kind of overall arching here, say, hey, if that fog wall is in front of you, if you encounter a portion of your life where you just don't know ahead of you, this is a great verse to trust in and to make part of your life. But at the same time, I wanted to also think about what are some things like when that happens, what are some just very practical things that we can actually do as far as with our own life? And what, are, what I kind of came up with and what I've been meditating on my own life is this, is that there, I want to give you kind of three things, right? So overall, trust, but what does it mean to trust and what does it mean to acknowledge God even when you don't know what's ahead? And I just kind of have kind of come to three things that I wanted to just maybe remind you or share with you, maybe just inspire you once again to, to jump into. When I think of Jesus and I think about some of his parables, he tells a bunch of them, but one of them is about Lazarus and the rich man. Remember this? And, and Lazarus was the poor beggar and the rich man's coming out and every single day Lazarus is there and needs something and the guy just walks past him, never does anything. And at the very end, you know, the, the rich guy gets punishment. And the rich guy's like, why? And, and Jesus is like, because there was a poor man right outside your door and you never helped him, right? <laughs> on and on and on. The, the kind of point of that parable is this, is that, hey, when you see good and you see someone need, just do good, right? You don't need God's permission to do good, right? I mean, God's already given permission. He's already blessed you. He's already empowered you to go and do this. And so in some ways, when you have that fog wall, even though there's sort of a trust in the Lord, when you ask that question, what would Jesus do? Jesus would do, in the words of Anna from Frozen 2, I don't know, we don't have any kids here. They stayed up too late. And they're all partying too hard. But the next right thing, amen. Anybody see the movie? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, go see the movie, Next Right Thing. You'll understand the whole, the whole song about it, stuff like that. But the next right thing, and the whole idea behind the next right thing was, hey, sometimes when you don't know the path, you can only see the thing in front of you. But you know what to do with that one thing. Just do the thing. Do the small thing, right? And eventually those little small things direct your paths to actually get to do the big things later on. When the thing is too big, do the small. When a thing is unknown, do the thing you already know what to do. So that's number one. Number two is this, and, and kind of I didn't really think about this until I really kind of was reading and, and lately, and it's surround yourself with other fellow believers. Fellowship, that is, with other believers. I was just moved, I was reading through Luke at the end, you know, when, when Jesus resurrects and, you know, the women come back and tell the disciples, it talks about how they went and found all 11 of them, right? And, and it kind of always presumed in that moment that they were all together, but, and Luke, it doesn't actually specifically says that, but it does say a little later when the walk to Emmaus happens and there's the two people walking, Jesus shows up, breaks bread, and they go, oh, you're Jesus, right? And then they come running back, and what does it say about the, the disciples, what they're doing? It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 33, the very first thing it says, they came to them, and they were assembled together, right? I don't know if you ever thought about the power of that, but like the believers, when the unknown happened, when Jesus is maybe out, is he resurrected? Is he not? I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Like, they're actually together, fellowshipping with one another as best they can, and they're assembled together. And I never really thought about the power of that, but there's also a good power of that of being assembled together, but there's also a negative power that sometimes we don't take for granted, or we take for granted, that is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and the whole part of this in chapter 15 is Paul's going on about the resurrection. Basically, he's saying this, hey, hey, church believers, Corinthians, just 
they couldn't get things right. They couldn't figure stuff out. So Paul had to sit down and write a big, huge, long letter to kind of really spell out some things. But one of the things he spells out is, hey, there is a resurrection. And it's not just spiritual. There's a physical resurrection people, like bodies and people are resurrected. And Jesus was resurrected people, right? Like bodily, not just spiritually, but bodily. And hey, there's a spiritual part of that too. And he goes on and he explains all this to the people. But one of the things he says that kind of really caught me off guard as I was preparing, or in my own life and as I was reading, that is, is it says this just kind of little offhanded comment in the middle of it because there's been people in this congregation that have been saying, hey, there's no resurrection from the dead, right? So Paul's addressing that in this moment. But he goes on with this, and in that he says, he reminds them, he says, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, it's true that Jesus loves sinners, and Jesus has us going out and reaching out to the world, but there is a safeguard in your life. There is a kind of wisdom of those people that are super close to you, those people that you really fellowship and spend time with, those people that really know you and are a part of you. There's a critical part of let them be believers, right? Let them be people who love Jesus, who love you, will stand by you and uplift you, and you the same for them, right? That that actually matters, even in the waiting, even in the unthings unknown, that God sometimes works through people groups instead of just people, not only in big things, but in also small things, even in your own life. It was a powerful thing when you see in Scripture time and time again when people didn't know what to do next, they surrounded themselves with people that they not only trusted, but they knew had their back. And our, of course, our prayer is that if you're a follower of Christ, hopefully you can look at another follower of Christ and know you got each other's back, right? One way or another. That should be true always and everywhere. And the third thing I would say that I've kind of been learning in this season of my life is this idea of perseverance. And Especially lately, I've been reading through the New Testament all over again, you know, just kind of every now and then I just sit down and read the whole entire thing. And I've been moved, and one of the things that's really popped out to me is how big, important perseverance is, right? It's everywhere. Like, you don't really notice it when you're just kind of reading and, and kind of jumping around and stuff. But when you kind of sit down and read, and you see what Paul's kind of saying letter after letter, and you read Jesus and what he's telling the people, and you, it just over and over and over, perseverance is a virtue, an absolute virtue that God wants to instill in your and my life. In every believer's life, there should be perseverance. I love in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is writing. And in Corinthians, remember again, they're, they're struggling. That was the first book we just talked about. But he wrote a second letter. And he said, hey, in the second letter, he said, hey, uh, by the way, there's a bunch of people leading you all astray. You're listening to them, and you're choosing not to listen to me. Let me remind you what I go through, right? And he goes and he lists, and he lists, lists his struggles, and he lists like, shipwrecks and imprisonments and floggings and like he goes on and on and on he starts bragging he says hey i'm a fool for doing this but i want just i want to remind you right this is what i've endured what have they done right <laughs> and then at the end he says these words you know do i feel weak are you led astray do i not inwardly burn when you are led astray and i've endured all this and then those same words kind of are mirrored in philippians chapter 4 verse 13 where he says I've learned the secret of whether being well-fed or hungry, being cold or hot, or all those things. It says in 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Kind of maybe that do can also be interpreted and probably very much, re uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, in not interpreted, I'm trying to say translated. There you go. This can be properly translated as the word endure. Paul's saying in that moment, hey, Philippians, 
I can endure all things through him who gives me strength. And so sometimes that fog wall comes down, but sometimes that fog wall doesn't. Sometimes it goes on and on and on. But one of the virtues God instills in our life in those times is perseverance. So do not lose heart, O church. Persevere. Because God's trying to instill that into your character and who you are in the midst of those hard times. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much that you're with us. And we thank you once again that we are invited to this table, not because of what we've earned or what we've done, but because your love is constant and always fresh and always new. God, we celebrate your works. And in this new year, we pray, Lord, that whatever lies before us, whatever decisions made, wherever this path take us, may God, you be glorified in our lives. May, Lord, we not only learn endurance and perseverance, may we learn fellowship with fellow believers. 